Welcome to the Culture Classroom, a podcast for teachers and coaches by teachers and coaches. Listen to top leaders, innovators, and influencers share their stories about how intentional culture elevates performance. Now, here are your hosts, John Weaver and John Torrey. Let's get better together. Coach Weaver, we're still at the beach, so it's time for our next wave here. And I'm going to hit you with a chicken or the egg question. What Play is it, it on me. What is it for you? And I know what it is for me, and I think I know what it is for you too, but do happy players lead to winning, or is it winning that leads to happy players? Well, anybody that knows me, anybody that knows anything about me, that it always leads happy players lead to winning because you have to win the locker room first. And as as you so even dive into this next podcast. If this is where we're going, which it might be, um, how where happiness comes from, winning. Uh, I know there's a lot of coaches out there that think it's vice versa that winning equals happy players, but that might be the case, or might have been the case thirty years ago. I don't know that if you weren't winning, you weren't happy. Well, I think if your players are happy and want to wear the uniform and want to support the coaches and want to support their community, I think happy players are what lead to the winning part of your program. Yeah, it's the same perspective that I share too. And I mean, that's no surprise that you kind of feel that way. And we're doing a podcast together and we've done all these other episodes and seasons and things like that. You and I are pretty similar, cut from the same cloth. Here's where the question comes from. I read a biography on Tom Landry recently, and uh, it talked about how George Allen in the 1970s was Tom Landry's nemesis. And uh, they would meet regularly in the playoffs, you know, George Allen with the Over the Hill gang, uh, Tom Landry. You know, people forget that had Tom Landry not lost to the, the great teams right the Packers were kind of their nemesis before George Allen in the NFC and so if the if the, the Cowboys don't lose in the ice bowl to the Packers maybe it's the Tom Landry Lombardi you know, so instead of the Lombardi trophy it's the Tom Landry trophy right. so uh, I just think it's an old school era of football but Tom Landry in the 1960s and 70s was the stoic guy if you google him you're going to find the guy with no smile on his face he really believed that winning led to happy players. Like if you won, then the players would be happy, and in turn they would play hard, and that all those things would go. And George Allen was the opposite. We're going to have fun. We're going to treat our guys well. And then uh, once they're happy, then the winning will come. And what I think is interesting about this, it doesn't matter if you're a George Allen fan or if you're a Tom Landry fan or if you're a Vince Lombardi fan or if you hate football in the 1970s uh, at all. Like it doesn't matter. What matters is you need both, right? You need winning, you need to win, and you need to have happy players. If you don't have either of those, nothing else really matters. Yeah, but I those think that t- equation equals miserable. Yeah, right? Those two things are very important to success, however you define success. You have to be able to win. You have to have happy players. Yeah, and I think about you know happy players that want to lay in the street, that want to run through a brick wall, that want to please their coaches. And I think that's where we are today with today's society of kids is there's a lot of things that get their attention. And if you're not getting their attention and making them happy and want to be there, 
to quote Rick Jones, they're all walk-ons. You know, they, they don't have to be there. So I think if you have a happy environment, if you're creating a culture that is conducive to joy, laughter, and look, we're not trying to say this thing's soft by any stretch, and we've said that before. Like, culture's not soft, but knowing who your kids are and, you know, when you start, and we heard this on a, I heard this on the podcast, uh, The Learning Leader Show, that uh, the skill that people know is awesome. But if the kids have a question about what your heart is, they give two shits about you. So it's the skill. Yeah, they know the skill. The coaches can teach skill all the time. But if the condition of your heart is not lined to that skill of that kid, and knowing the heart of that kid, and that kid knows the heart of you, then you're you're missing out. So I don't think you're you can win. I think it's a lose lose situation when that happens because the kid's like, I'm not going to play for this guy. I'm not going to play for this girl. I'm going to play for this school, but there's no substance to it. But I think that's what it comes to. Is like, yes, coaches know skill, but if your heart is not conditioned in the right place for that athlete. You're losing. You know, it's such great perspective because we talked uh, throughout the last week that we've been together here at the beach, some beach somewhere. And um, I was talking, I stopped in Kansas City on my way down here to have lunch with my college coach. And he mentioned how they're putting the 93 team and the 97 team who are really good in our school at Doan, that's where I went. Um, Really good teams, deep runs in the NAI playoffs. Uh, they're putting them in the school hall of fame and the question came up of will our 99 team going to go into the hall of fame and we didn't have as deep of run but we qualified for the playoffs and i mean made a lot of noise and went out to azusa pacific and you know got our butt handed to us by a much better football team and today azusa pacific doesn't even have football which that's sad for me because i think about uh, them in their heyday and my college coach and I were just kind of talking. He goes, you know, are you going to go back? And I'm like, well, I, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of reasons not to go back. Uh, but it comes down to, you know, that winning is important. And that's part of the legacy. And happy players as you get older. And so just a lot of stuff, right? Uh, I, I tend to think about my time with my college. And at the time, you know, you sign your letter of intent. At least this is my perspective. You sign your letter of intent. Uh, or, or you, you get the t-shirt in the mail. That was my letter of intent back in 1998. And uh, I wore that on under my graduation robe, right? Because I was really proud of that white t-shirt that said Doan football on it. Uh, my parents gave it to me that weekend or whatever. And at the time, I'm thinking, okay, I'm proud of my this university. This is where I'm going next. This is the next chapter of my life. And when you get your degree, like that, that you know, seal from that school is always affixed to that degree and that transcript. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't say I'm loyal to my university. I, I don't necessarily agree with some of the changes they've made. I don't recognize the school today, really. Uh, I took a, a former player of mine who doesn't really have a strong parental support in his life. I took him on a college visit there, and it was neat for me to be back in the athletic department, neat for me to be back on campus, but I don't recognize it. Like, I wouldn't go there today, probably. Um, and it really hit me that as we get older, I'm not loyal to my university. I'm loyal to my coach. And I think that's really important for coaches to understand. 
is that your players are not loyal to your school per se, hmm. but they need to be loyal to you. I, I think about that right now. So I, when you were mentioning that, I went to Robert Morgan, Gene Murphy, Rick Rhodes. The three coaches that impacted me in high school, community college, and adult state. And yes, I love Warren Central, but I always associate Warren Central with Robert Morgan. I always associate Hines Community College with Gene Murphy, and then Rick Rhodes with Delta State. And Rhodes didn't even recruit me, didn't even sign me. Steve Campbell did. Mm-hmm. So I, that is spot on where. And I think that's where the transfer portal's coming in. Yeah. If a coach leaves, well, they're going to go to that coach. They're not going to the university. I, I don't I, I don't give money to Delta State. I'm sorry. Right. I, I don't do that. I don't give money to Heinz Community College. It doesn't mean I'm right or wrong or whatever, but kids gravitate to coaches. And that goes back to the whole thing is relationship, the relationship piece of it. And as a relationship builder, as your relationship builder, we do things to get kids to trust us. We know the skill to get us to trust us. The other piece of this whole thing is consistency with it. Is consistency is key to kids getting happy and being happy because they are playing for something bigger than themselves. They're being a part of something bigger than themselves. And y'all say that in Monarch football. Uh, but I, I'm just, this podcast is going to hit home a little bit. Because when you capture the heart and the mind of a kid, it doesn't matter if they wear Monarch or Patriot or whatever, you have that kid who's going to ball out for you on the court, in the ring, on the mat, on the gridiron, whatever. They're going to do that. So you got to get kids to know that they're, one, they're happy, and then the winning, I think, happens after that. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to be that same school of thought, although, you know, miserable players are, you know, they label themselves as losers or they know their record. I mean, there's we keep track of stats. There's all kinds of reasons that you could go either on this, which is why it's a chicken or the egg. you got to have both eventually, but where do you start? And that's why I think it's a great debate to start having. You know, I think about Hayden Fry. Iowa was absolutely awful in the late 70s when Hayden Fry took over. And he came in right away. And for those of you that aren't familiar with Hayden Fry, one of the most influential leaders, background in psychology, the pink visitor's locker room, like the Tiger Hawk. He's, his family is still getting royalties on that today from the University of Iowa. Uh, he created it, totally redesigned their uniform, their look. Uh, he tailored it after the Pittsburgh Steelers, who were winners at the time in the late 70s, you know, winning four Super Bowls and then going for a fifth, one for the thumb, for those of you uh, familiar with some of the NFL lore from yesteryear. But Hayden Fry totally changed that. Before you are a winner, you got to look like a winner, right? you got to feel like a winner. I think that's where we're going with the relationship piece. And if you hear any of Hayden Fry's former players talk about their time at Iowa, they always mention that Hayden Fry's a guy that you would run through two brick walls for. Mm. Culture Classroom is sponsored by Pro Quick Draw, the dynamic playbook solution for modern coaches. Let technology work for you with time-saving features to eliminate the busy work so you can spend more time coaching. Our subscription comes with starter templates, stencils, and plays for you to begin building your playbook quickly. Give us a try for 30 days and keep all the templates you make during your trial. That's Pro Quick Draw. And so when you talk about capturing the heart, 
I don't know what says it better than that. You want to be the guy that you're going to run through a brick wall for, but how about the guy that you're going to run through two brick walls yeah. for? Yeah, like Deion Sanders. Yeah. Look good, you look good, you feel good, you play good, all that. They um, pay good. Yeah, right? they pay once, good. The, once you play good, they pay good. Now that NIL, absolutely they pay good. Yeah. Um, so I think there's another piece to this with coaches getting happy players, and it's a vulnerability piece of it. And I had written, I had that written down when you were when we were talking about this a minute ago. But being vulnerable and being okay to know that they can fail, that they can do this, like. But I think as a coach, being vulnerable to let them know that hey, I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to help you get those answers. Yeah. So the vulnerable piece of having happy players, um, you know. But then I also think there are miserable players, right? But why are they miserable? Yeah, I think you got to dive into that. Maybe they don't have a happy. Their home life sucks. Maybe their parents are divorced, or uh, an aunt or an uncle just passed away, or their girlfriend just broke up with them. Or I mean, there's a reason they're miserable. And I, I tell this to my teams a lot, and especially the wide receiver room, as you can tell, and you can read a kid's face of if they're in a good mood, if they're in a terrible mood. And I tell them, like, look, I don't know what your problem is. You can share with me if you want, whatever. I said, when we walk through the gates to go to the practice field, drop it. And enjoy practice. And then you have the opportunity when practice is over, when you walk back through those gates, you choose to pick it up or not. So just another way of, like, hey, guys, I don't have all the answers. I'm not trying to be your psychiatrist. Right. <laughs> I'm not trying to do that. What I am telling you is for the next two and a half hours of practice, enjoy practice. Enjoy being with your teammates. Enjoy being with your coaches. And then when you leave, you choose to pick up that problem if you want it or not. If you leave it, it's there. If you choose to pick it back up, that's your choice. You know, I think that's so great. That, that perspective is really good. Um, my cousin is a few years older than me on my mom's side, and he played football at West Point. So I think about, like, the life of a service academy, right? Like, the Blue Angels are going to fly over where we are tomorrow. And uh, I'm super excited for that. My uncle was a Blue Angel. He graduated from Annapolis. Uh, my cousin, his son, graduated from West Point. And, you know, when you go to a service academy, they make you participate in a sport. And I think about that. Like, when if I went to West Point, right, and you get up at 5 or 6 in the morning and it starts with PT and calisthenics and your day and all this, it just rolls, right? And, and the academic stress is some of the hardest in the classes. Like, West Point has produced multiple presidents, multiple leaders that have shaped our nation's history. So very fitting we're talking about this on 4th of July. And if you're a player at a service academy, that's the highlight of your day. Those two and a half hours, the rest of your day sucks so much. That two and a half hours, you get a break. That's your break. Think about that. For the for our kids, they, they the rest of their day is the break. And then, oh, man, I got to go put in my two-hour work here. Of, of playing a sport or participating in a sport. And again, it's back to happiness and it's back to what's your perspective and it's back to what other things are happening in your life and, mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And I think it comes down to this. Happiness is a choice. We, we have the opportunity to choose to be happy just as we have the opportunity to choose not to be happy. Oh, yeah. That's so true. You, we wake up and you hear people say this all the time. You, you can tell people woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Oh, <laughs> you know, right? Um, but it comes down to you're so right with that. That happiness is a choice because you choose 
how your day's going to go. And for some people, they choose and they, they choose to be miserable. Yeah. And you can see those people. For whatever reason, there is no joy or happiness or comfort or anything in their life. There's the total opposite. Uh, more, more people kill themselves on Monday at 9 a.m. than any other time in a week. Why? I got to think it's because they're starting out the work week. And a lot of people in America trade five for two. Mm. You know, they work really hard Monday through Friday so that they can go and have the best time of their life. And they're absolutely miserable Monday through Friday. But then they have the best time of their life Saturday and Sunday. And they start that process all over again. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't know. I mean, to me, to me, that's powerful. Like, I don't ever want to be a person to trade five for two. But you see it constantly. Yeah, and you hear people say, like, I got a bad case of the Mondays right, or whatever. Right, office space. I always think about, ooh, it looks like someone's got a case of the Mondays. Yeah, <laughs> and, you hear and, that. But I, I really think it goes back to doing what you love. Mm-hmm. That we talked about in this Surfed up seri- Surf's Up series already. Doing what you love and being authentic to who you are. and what you, There's so many parallels to these podcasts that we're putting in this series. But when you said happiness is a choice, like even your profession of what you go into, like five for two, if I didn't want to be a coach again, just stop. Go find something else to do. Life's too short for all that stuff. Um, and this is where that surfs up mentality really, really hits, the surfer mentality. I think about Pete Carroll putting on the wetsuit and going mm-hmm. at 70 years old, and that's his happy place, right, is in the ocean surfing and, and doing that, and he's looking for that next wave, that next ride. He's going to ride it however long he can. That's the highlight of his day. Uh, a coach in Iowa, Garrison Carter. So shout out to Garrison Carter. I really appreciate uh, his leadership. I appreciate his personality. I appreciate our friendship and uh, what we do together. But he recommended that I read this book. He said it's a must read. Now he's a reader, I'm a reader. So whenever someone says, I recommend recommends a book to me, I'll always read it. But if they say it's a must read, I'll read it immediately. It goes to the head of my list. And this particular book was written by a Holocaust survivor. Now, I'm a social studies major. Like, the Holocaust is super important. Uh, I've, you know, my favorite class I took in college outside of coaching football was uh, fascism. And, like, I took a a 400-level fascism class taught by a man from Germany during uh, World War II. And so, like, that's when he grew up. So his perspective was amazing so i don't need to read another holocaust book i've read probably 50 holocaust books in my life we teach that in schools right as we should and it's a super defining moment in world history but when coach carter said that was a must read i did it i moved it to the front of my list and the man was 20 at the time of the holocaust he gets thrown into auschwitz after being in hiding after being in other uh concentration camps like buchenwald and surviving and uh, escaping and eventually makes his way to Auschwitz and he's down to 60 pounds so I think about you know being 20 year old in the prime of your life LGFGPG right like Deion Sanders go back to when he was in his prime in the late 80s early 90s he's playing in the World Series he's playing in Super Bowls he's you know doing everything right here's a man who's at Auschwitz in his 20s in the prime of his life and he gets down to 60 pounds and he's the only survivor of the Holocaust. Everyone else in his family, you know, doesn't know where they are, doesn't know how they die, doesn't know, you know, that's just one of those details lost to history in a really tragic event. 
and think about how he chooses to be happy, right? The book is actually called The Happiest Man on Earth. And I start to think, how can he witness these whores, you know, have them done to him and still have a heart of gratitude? still not be angry or bitter, still be able to forgive, not forget, right? And go back to the advice from the Duke. We're going to forgive. We're not going to forget though. And how can he be happy later in life? And it comes down to this. He ends up meeting a woman who was in hiding in France during the Holocaust and they start a relationship and that relationship leads to marriage. And he's not really happy yet, but you can see he's becoming more whole. And uh, he ends up having a kid and has multiple kids later on. And that's where he gets his happiness. And I think the lesson in this is there's a common theme researchers have uncovered about every Holocaust survivor. If they try to work independently and just survive themselves by any means necessary, just win baby in the words of Al Davis, Mm. it never works out for them their chance of survival is the lowest among other concentration camp uh, victims. Where it increases is if you have at least one other person that you feel you can hope in, you can confide in, you can trust in, you can build a partnership together where you have multiple people, at least more, more than one, working with you, your chances of survival increase dramatically, right? And so it's like, it goes back to winning, winning in isolation. It, it, it helps temporarily, but if you want to be happy long-term, you, you can't win long-term. Every dynasty ends in sports. Even the ones that we don't think will ever end, they all end. So happiness is a choice. And if you want to survive in an con- in, in extreme setting, you need to find other people that you can confide in, you can trust in, and that's this person's story. And you have to ultimately allow yourself to be happy. Choose to be happy. Yeah. I, I keep thinking of share, celebrate, mm. all those things that go into a team dynamic to make all these pieces fit together. How many times you see a kid score a touchdown, they beat their chest or whatever, versus going and thinking an offensive line. Like enjoying that happiness with others and I think that's where this comes to like happiness doubles is is what you were talking about and how if, if we do this thing just full disclosure like if I just did this podcast by myself <laughs> it would suck right if uh, I if I did it by myself no one listened so there you go <laughs> like so so it, not only would it suck but no one would even know about it yeah, so I just think that this goes on so many levels. There's so many layers of what happiness is and where people find their true happiness and why people are miserable. I think people are lonely. Yeah. I think people think the world's out to get them. But we go back to the original question, you want happy players? Absolutely. I want my locker room to be filled with joy. I want my locker room to be filled with happiness. I want my locker room to be filled with coaches that go in after practice and are just maybe a dance thing pops out or whatever just have coaches that are not afraid to go in a locker room and get in to who your guys are because I'm a big proponent of you got to win the locker room first if you have happy players who are excited 
Uh, that goes back to your vulnerability part. Maybe you dance, and like I said before, I have, like, I sway side to side. I have no MJ <laughs> moves, none, no Michael Jackson moves. But you get in with their times. Like right now, there's a big thing saying like, "Thanks, twin." I have no idea what that means. But if I go to a kid and be like, "Thanks, twin," I'm speaking their lingo. I'm in their world. <laughs> they might be happy. Whatever. Right. Um, the other thing, and I want to echo this to people that are leaders is if you're having a hard day or a bad day, don't let the kids know you're having one. Yeah. It's not their fault. And that's that's me talking to you on this podcast, and it's also me talking to myself as a parent. Absolutely. That if I'm having a bad day, if I'm frustrated, it's my fault. It's my fault because you can choose that. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe somebody has done me wrong or whatever, but that's life. That's what happens. And you got to know how to navigate that. So... If you're going to practice and you're listening to this on a Monday on your way to work and you have weights coming up or you have practice or basketball practice or whatever and you just had a rotten afternoon, don't take it out on those kids. Don't do it to them because they deserve your best. And I I think that's where also happiness comes from is you give people your best. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of things there. First of all, I'm going to go back to Hayden Fry. Again, one of the best motivators I've studied. I've, I've, you know, fortunate to be around and know, you know, whatever. Uh, have a firsthand look at how he ran Iowa and how he changed Iowa and how they've really become one of the blue bloods in college football the last 30 or 40 years. But when Hayden Fry was having a bad practice, right? Because you're talking about having a bad practice. How do, you, how do you respond when you have a bad practice, when things are going right? And how many coaches just say, run it again, right? Like, again. Again, like reload is kind of the word that we use in Monarch football or we have in the past. And it's like, obviously the players go, oh yeah, we didn't, we didn't do that right, you know. And, and rather than build them up or tearing them back down, we're trying to reteach along the way. So it's not all negative, but that's not how the players see it. Uh, Hayden Fry, when things would go like that in Iowa practice, and there were a lot of days early on when they're, you know, 0-12 or 0-11, I mean, 1-9, and um, he would stop practice bring everyone to the 50 yard line and they would do a team sing-along he would single out some player one of the team leaders that he knew could handle it and make them sing some kind of karaoke song right there at practice and it was it was spontaneous it was in the moment it that without warning and then everyone would laugh probably at that player's expense and then they would go back and that was how they would restructure practice so it doesn't really matter how you choose happiness or how you choose to respond when you aren't feeling happiness what matters is that you have a plan and a system and here's the other thing I want to back up and I want to touch on because you mentioned that happiness doubles Mm -hmm. researchers have also found that happiness is the one thing that you can give away that costs nothing it doesn't change your happiness at all so if I if I'm happy my wife is going to be happy, right? If I'm happy, my kids are going to be happy. I mean, we've all heard that phrase of happy wife, happy life. And happiness doubles because if I'm experiencing it, then there's a good chance that you are too because I can give it away and I do give it away for my persona, my vibe, however you want to say it. And it doesn't cost anyone anything and it doesn't diminish mine by giving it to you. Yeah, I think about this, with happiness doubles is- it's not even what you say verbally, it's the, it's the face that you wear. And a lot of the kids and parents that, that I coach and 
and those parents, those kids' parents, like you, you're very inviting. And I think that's a lot to say of, and I'm not bragging on myself by any stretch. It's just I'm, I'm typically a happy person. I'm a I lead by positive, uh, positive relationships, positive. Paula, whatever. Mind, mindset. Yeah. You know, like, whatever. The but power of positive thinking. Stuff like that. John Gordon, right? Yeah. So, I think that all turns into, like, when that happens, and when you choose to have an inviting face, when you're happy, when you're... I think it not only doubles, it triples, it quadruples. It goes to the 10th power because your team's going to follow... What you do for me is my wide receiver unit. If I walk in a meeting and I look pissed off because somebody did something to one of my jugs machines or whatever, I have to, okay, it, so what? Next, right. uh, that's not their kid's fault. It's not their fault. Like, go and coach your kids up, teach your kids up. And, and we talk about perspective all the time. And I mean, we're, we're getting that now that we're in our 40s. I'm getting a lot of perspective, you know, that I didn't have uh, 20 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago. But I just think that really hits home with me. If if a man trapped in Auschwitz who has lost all of his family, who has no reason to live, who's dropped to 60 pounds, if he can be called the happiest person on earth, then what is stopping me? What is holding us back? What is preventing our team from unlocking that superpower? All right, Coach Weaver, extra credit here. And I'm going to hit you with something that uh, you hit me with today on the beach. It is a yellow flag day, and uh, I had to educate myself. I had to educate my kids on what the flags are, you know, you know, like from blue to double red and everything in between because, you know, we're 19 hours from the beach. We don't, we don't, we don't get this experience in Iowa. Like, Okaboji is just Okaboji. Like, we don't have flags that tell us how dangerous it is. Right. Uh, but I'm, we're sitting there today, and uh, my f- six-year-old wants to be on an inner tube. My 12-year-old wants to wear her life jacket as, like, uh, around her butt. Yeah, like know? a diaper. Right, like a, literally like a diaper. And then she goes, well, Mom said it's okay. And I'm like, I don't even know if that's safe or if that's good. or I, You know? And then my, my uh, seven-year-old, she's the most cautious one. Like, she's barely dipping her toe in the water. But next thing you know, it's a yellow flag day and we've got some decent sized waves today. The sea was rough a little bit, but here you are swimming with your son, with your daughter, with my daughter wearing her diaper, with you know, my son who's six in an inner tube. You're swimming out beyond the breakers to a sandbar. And I'm thinking to myself, how long do I wait till I go save my six year old you know, how, till I jump in and help you because you've got your hands full. And uh, when you got back, I asked you, I go, hey, why? Why would you do it to yourself? Why would you take two of my kids to go into dangerous waters, put yourself in danger when you got your own kids with you? And you said, Coach Tory, I wish I had 10. Mm. And I look at your wife and I go, 10? And she didn't quite share the same sentiments. <laughs> No, no. I, look, it's is. Um, this is this is heavy on my heart. So this is interesting that you're asking me this. Ten kids, twenty kids. I, I just have a huge heart for young people. Uh, I don't know if it's 
the way I was brought up and the love that was and wasn't shown or whatever, uh, the bullying that I experienced, but just seeing joy in kids' faces just delights me for, for some reason. I don't know. Um, like I just, I, for me, I'd, I'd have 10. Like when your kids got here, I didn't, I've never met your kids. Right. And then just kind of gravitated. Yeah. And Scarlett was like, can I go with you out there? Yes. Then Avon was like, can you go? Yes. Then Max was like, can I go? Yes. Like, I just love kids. So adoption, yes, that's an option. Fostering, yes, that's an option. Um, you know, two kids are great. Emery and Luke, awesome. I'd have four more. I'd have five more. Hell, I'd have ten more. Yeah. You know? But it's one of those things I just, um, I don't know, kids just, they're, they're God's creation. They're seeing their faces, seeing their excitement, seeing, I mean, just the fact of jumping in the pool and throwing them. And then knowing that they've, never been to the ocean yeah and seeing their face of like can I go out there with you but last thing I want to do you talk about happiness doubles yeah my happiness like we've talked about this already in three episodes of I love the beach yeah I love the sand I love the sun I love the surf <laughs> You've been here three times this yeah. summer been here three times this summer want to come back one more <laughs> um, also not popular with your wife no not popular <laughs> but it, it goes back like I want to help those kids experience that happiness that I have so it's only fitting that we're talking about happiness doubles because my happiness for the beach, I think they see how happy I was when I was out there and like, yeah. can we go out there? Yeah, come on, get on the internet. Just make sure you're on the internet too. Make sure you got, look, and we'll go out there. Um, but that's what it is. And you know, the same thing about me, my wife's five foot one. It's hard for her to carry a baby, yeah. right? It, it's not exciting for her um, to be pregnant. She has rough pregnancies like, Throws up, vomit, like all the trimesters, all three of them. And, like, and it's, it's not because she's not educated. She works for an OBGYN. Yeah. Like she, a, yeah. she knows everything what to do. Yeah. Uh, but just that's that's her, her prerogative. So would she adopt? Yes. Would we foster? Yes. But my love for kids, and this is, like, I'll feel this way when I'm eight. I just love kids. And I think that's why God put me into coaching. Because I've tried to get out of coaching numerous times. I'm like, oh, I'm going to admin. Oh, I'm going to go work for UPS. Oh, I'm going to go do this. Oh, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go work for a gas company. I can't get away from it. Mm-hmm. And it's not because of the wins. It's not because of the losses. It's not because of the championships that we win and the rings that we wear. It's the impact that I have on these kids and the impact the kids have on me. Well, I do not want 10 kids. So... <laughs> Like, and in fact, at this point in my stage, it's not even possible. Like, so we've taken care of that. Uh, I just, uh, it just hit me. It's like I, three pushes me to my limits. Like I told you on the way down here that like, it was a good chance that one of the Tory kids at least wasn't going to make it to the beach. So they're all here. No issues. Right, like, right. you know, just all those things that we say, but a lot of times perspective on parenting, like. I heard it put this way, and I think it it really has resonated with me uh, by someone who has studied, spent her life, dedicated her life. Gretchen Rubin is the author. She has this happiness project. She has dedicated her life to studying happiness. And as a parent, 
she puts it up the best, I feel like. She says that the days are long, but the years are short. 100%. And if you want perspective, there it is, right? Like, think about the Auschwitz survivor. Like, the days are long, but it's like, man, your years might be short. And uh, I, I just think that sums it up best. Yeah. I, and as we're talking about this, and I'm, I'm thinking about kids, I'm thinking about my own life, and I'm thinking about coaches that are listening to this, CEOs that listen to this, you know, I think patience plays a lot into happiness. Mm. Because being patient allows you to do things, to see things, to hear things of how a person's doing. So you can connect with them and meet them where they're at. And I think about that with kids. Am I patient all the time with my kids? No. But am I patient if they have a problem? If I'm in, like, I'm, God gave us two ears and one mouth. John, shut up and listen and hear what their problem is. And I do the same thing with the, their, uh, my athletes that I coach. There was a game this past year. I was trying to interject and to tell them like, what they need to do. And they kept talking, talking, talking. And I was like, I put the iPad behind my back. Yep. And I was like, you know what? Sometimes you just need to listen yeah. and not speak. So a lot of times happiness, like we don't, as parents, we don't have to have every answer. Right. Sometimes we just got to be there to listen to them. So I'm glad you asked me that about why 10 kids. Uh, I just have a heart for them. Uh, I would have 10. I would. I don't know how I'd pay for them. <laughs> I don't know how they would eat. I don't know where they would sleep. Uh, but my mom's one of 11, and Kristen's dad is one of 11. And I think it just comes from hearing those stories, seeing all my cousins, just all my cousins. I have 23 first cousins and then 47 overall. I mean, that's a lot of people. That's a lot, that's a lot of weavers. It's a lot of people. Uh, so, I, I don't know. I just, I like big families. I like togetherness. Um, what? I like vacationing with people, obviously, uh, at the beach, <laughs> not in Iowa. <laughs> I, I think it comes down to this, right? And whether you're, I'm talking about a, a survivor of a concentration camp or whether it talks about how would you support 10 kids, one of the lessons I'm trying to drive home to my kids right now is they have so much. Every generation should get better. That's my philosophy. Like, my kids have it infinitely better than when I was a kid. Like, they have more resources. They have more available. They have just stuff, right? Like, everything's better. One of the things that I'm trying to do is we live in this world of endless options. And one of my goals as a parent that's really important to me is, can my kids make do? And the answer is no, not at 12, 7, and 6. But they shouldn't have to probably at this age. But I think about a concentration camp survivor, you have to make do with what you have. And if that means freezing at night because you're sleeping on a single bed with seven other people and that means you have to huddle together because you have no blankets and your clothes are rags, then that's how you make do. And uh, I, I know that with you, resources might be limited if you had 10 kids. Like, they're going to be even more limited than that. You're not coming to the beach three times that, you know, in a summer. Maybe once every two years. But, but you would find a way to make do. And I think that is the skill. And if you want to be happy, make do. Y'all, thanks for listening to the Culture Classroom. Stay tuned for more episodes coming from JT and I. Thanks for listening.